The following is a message by Pastor Mike Nye of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org. That's D-U-R-K-E-E-T-O-W-N dot O-R-G. Concerning your scriptures to John chapter 14... Today is uh, Pentecost Sunday, and it struck me as I was reading the account of Pentecost that uh, Sunday, at the time of Pentecost in the Scripture, was not their Sabbath, right? It was a, it was their first day of the week, um, and so they were uh, beginning the um, Feast of Weeks, one of the big feasts that everyone was to be coming to Jerusalem for, so that accounts in part, um, plus the Passover, for why they would have uh, all of these various people there as are listed in Acts chapter 2. We celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit in power to continue the public and personal ministry of the risen and and ascended Lord Jesus Christ. Luke starts off his account of the work of the church, of Jesus in the church in Acts, saying, uh, I have already recorded the things that Jesus began to do, but Jesus wasn't done. And one of the points of the discourse that Jesus has in John uh, 14 through 17 with the disciples is to say, it's not done. When I ascend, when I leave you, it's not done. You're not coming with me yet. I have work for you to do, but I'm not going to leave you alone in that work. I'm going to send a helper. Now, I find it helpful to to remind myself regularly of the statement of faith of our church. Um, So today, I'm going to remind us of those truths that we hold to regarding the Holy Spirit. There are two sections in the statement of faith that express our belief about the Holy Spirit. The first concerns the Spirit's relationship to the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and the believer. The second concerns the Spirit's work in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the two statements are this. We believe in the Holy Spirit who indwells every believer, sealing them unto the day of redemption. And by his baptism unites them to Christ in one body. He, the Spirit of sanctification, is applying our redemption as he forms Christ within us, thus making visible the life of Jesus within our lives. The second statement is, we believe that God has committed five primary means by which the Holy Spirit strengthens and nourishes his people so that they may be empowered to exercise the authority of Jesus Christ. The word of God, prayer, baptism, the Lord's Supper, and fellowship with other followers of Jesus. Now today I want us to focus on this first truth stated in the first statement We believe the Holy Spirit indwells every believer. And this is part of the reason that um, I've I've been trying to move us through this uh, sort of public and personal, private and public ministry of the Spirit to recognize that these things are going on at the same time. Pentecost, there's a lot of things that can be preached at Pentecost, right? The coming of the Spirit, the gathering of the church, 
um, the preaching and of, of Peter and, and various other things that can come out. And oftentimes the focus of it is the public ministry of the Spirit, especially as recorded in Acts 2. This is an important part of the Spirit's work, but it's not all of the Spirit's work. And so while not trying to diminish this public work of the Spirit in any way, I'm aiming to highlight today the personal ministry of the Spirit, which is that He is indwelling each individual believer. In other words, the Holy Spirit of God is living inside of each and every believer. We are, in a sense, God's space. And um, I like to use that word. It, 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 what I mean by that is the place where God meets with his people. The first God space was the Garden of Eden, right? Every day, God comes, meets with Adam and Eve, talks with them, and he's there in the garden with them. That God space didn't last very long. Adam and Eve fell into sin and were removed from the garden. And so God space from that time is then on this, God is on this um, in this work throughout then history to bring us back to that God space, like the Garden of Eden, which we see uh, in Revelation in the coming down of the city uh, where there's no sin anymore. That first God space, there was no sin. Adam and Eve didn't need to worry about sin. That last God space, that eternal God space, there will be no sin. And we will not have to be worried about that. But in the between time, God has moved through a series of God spaces. And just to highlight some of them, one would be uh, the ark. The ark with Noah, where God is destroying all that's around, which is evil, but he's with Noah in the ark. And then uh, we come to the tabernacle, right? Uh, after, the, uh, after that exodus, the tabernacle and the and the people of Israel meet with God. And then the temple, a little more permanent. There's a problem with the temple and tabernacle as a God space, and that is you have to come there. Uh, Israelites had to come there. Also, God had this um, separated room, if you will, for himself, the Holy of Holies. But then Jesus comes. And Jesus is a God space in his, in his ministry life, right? Meeting with his people as he ministers to them. And then Jesus opens the door for this new God space within people. And this is his point to the disciples. I've got to leave because if I don't leave, then this God space is limited to where I am with you all the time or wherever I am geographically. But I'm going to leave and God is going to make a God space through the Holy Spirit in your life so that wherever you are, the presence of God is there in a very special and particular way. And so this ministry of indwelling the believer is that which Jesus promised in John 14. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I want to note out of here several truths in Jesus' promise. The first is that Jesus himself asks the Father to send the Helper, the Holy Spirit. That, that's just an astounding thing. Jesus' concern for this family that he is now gathering leads him to ask the Father to give us, his family, another Helper, 
one who will be with us all the time and forever. Now, if you think back to the Old Testament era, the Holy Spirit wasn't brand new to this moment. It's not as if when Jesus starts talking about the Holy Spirit, now he exists. For one, he's, he's existed eternally in the Trinity. But in the, but in the Old Testament era, we also see him at work. He comes upon a man like Samson. Don't you love that story? Like, here's this guy, Samson, with just, just the jawbone of a donkey. You know, the... You watch all these Marvel movies, and I, I just have to give a Marvel movie reference because Ken did last week. There's these Marvel movies, and all these guys are killing all kinds of people and stuff, but they have all this fancy stuff, right? I mean, even Thor's got this big, you know, hammer. Samson's just got a jawbone of a donkey, but the Spirit of God comes upon him, and with that jawbone of a donkey, he kills 1,000 Philistines. But the difference in the Old Testament era with the Spirit's work is that it was not a permanent kind of work, nor was it a broad kind of work that we, are, uh, that we have now. The Spirit would come upon people, and then the Spirit would leave them. He would come upon them for certain events, and then he would leave them. And there was only certain people. There, there weren't a bunch of other Samsons out there um, with jawbones killing people. It was very particular. But now, in the New Testament era, the Spirit will come upon us, will come in us, and He will do so forever. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He will live right in us, residing with us or indwelling us. And the Father, himself, Jesus Himself has asked the Father to do this. The second thing to note in this text here in John 14 is that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. That's how Jesus refers to him. Even the spirit of truth. In, uh, further, Jesus, further in Jesus' conversation that's recorded for us by John in, in chapter 16, verse 13, he'll note that he says that when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you, that is us, his church, into all truth. He will do this because he will not speak on his own authority, but only declare what he hears. In a very personal way, the Holy Spirit's work in us is to guide us into truth. When you open your scriptures and begin to read, the Spirit is telling you what it means. He is, he is opening up a, a mind that is confused and distorted by sin. He's opening it up in a way to understand spiritual truths that you could not otherwise understand. And so one of the things that's important when we come to the scriptures is that we are relying upon the Spirit to teach us, not some other person. That doesn't mean no one else ever teaches us, but we are trusting the Spirit. And it also tells us something else. There is, there is possibility of reading the scriptures wrongly. And this happens all the time. This is what we call false teachers who've misread the scriptures or misused the scriptures to try and say something different than what they say. And since the spirit is the spirit of truth, if in your reading you begin to think something's being said that is against the rest of the scripture, it can't be the spirit opening your mind to that. Because the spirit will only open your mind to the truth and teach you that truth. And then next we see this. The, the sort of contrast here, then, is that the world cannot receive the Holy Spirit. 
not being regenerated, not having faith to see, the unbelieving world does not recognize the Holy Spirit. Look what he says there in, uh, in chapter 14. What, um, the, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. How is that? The, 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 to know the Spirit and to be known by the Spirit is a matter of faith. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you must, as Peter preaches at Pentecost, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What Peter is saying there is, turn away from where, how you've been living and all that is cluttering up your life and distorting reality in you, which is sin, by turning to Jesus in faith, that sin is forgiven and removed, and the Spirit then comes and dwells in you. It's now in a, now in a cleaned-out temple, if you will, because the temple needs to be clean. And by the grace of God, we do know him. We know him because he lives within us. And the scriptures tell us elsewhere that he testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. This is such a wonderful truth if you think about it. Every day, the Holy Spirit of God is testifying to and with your spirit, you are one of God's children. Every day, reminding you, we're a forgetful people. We're not that much unlike the Israelites. I was thinking about this. I, my children don't have a hard time remembering I'm their father because I'm there every day. Every morning at breakfast, there's daddy. But you know what? I, I have to remind myself uh, times that I am the son of Jim and Liz Nye. Those are my parents. Because they live in Michigan. I don't see them every day. And I need to be reminded at times, oh, yeah, that's right, they're there, and I need to be, I need to be in contact with them. I need to be talking with them. I need to... Uh, maybe call him on the phone or something. I'm, I'm their son. That's, it's kind of similar to what's happening here. Because the Father is not visible to us in the way that we're accustomed to seeing things, the Spirit reminds us, you belong to God. You are a child of the living God. And so then here is this personal ministry of the Spirit in your life, fellow saint, the Holy Spirit lives in you, guiding you into truth, and he does so permanently, forever. He doesn't come and go and come and go. He is there to teach you and guide you into truth. In fact, our readings today were specifically chosen to highlight this ministry. So I'm going to just walk us back through our three readings, the Old Testament a gospel and New Testament. I'm not going to reread the text. <laughs> I'm just going to highlight why I chose them. In the case of Elijah, Elijah is, uh, is, is distressed, right? And you note something in there. Twice Elijah says, it's only me, God. I'm all alone. Have you ever felt that way? Nobody else loves you, God. Nobody loves Jesus. Nobody cares. It's just me. And so what I'm doing is worthless, and just take me out of here. That's basically what he's saying. And so God dis displays the power of the wind and the earthquake and the fire, very public, like, out there, powerful thing. But what's interesting is that the text tells us that God's not in those. 
It is not how he's communicating with Elijah. He's already done that, right? He's done that up in Mount Carmel. The fire from heaven that burns up. The wind that brings this small cloud that's going to fill with rain, a famished land. God's shown this public ministry, but now he's going to come to Elijah in a low whisper, and he's going to guide him into truth. Because the truth is that though Elijah thinks God has left him alone in Israel, he's not alone. God here is going to correct his, his, his vision, his, his reality. Elijah, you, you think you're alone because it doesn't appear that anybody's following you. But let me tell you what's happening. I have 7,000 people in Israel who have not bowed the knee to Baal. That's a pretty good number, isn't it? Anybody seen 7,000 people in the last week? <laughs> probably not around here. Uh, maybe my brother, he was down in New York City. You probably did. Elijah, you're not alone. 7,000 people. And Elijah, I have a work for you to do. Don't miss that work. So Elijah was told to go back and to anoint two kings, right? King of Syria and the king of Israel, and um, choose a, uh, or, or anoint a successor. Don't miss this. Who's the big problem in Elijah's life? What? In, well, Elijah, yeah, in this case. But, I mean, who's been the troubler of Israel? Ahab, right? And Jezebel, Ahab the king. You see what's happening here. God is saying to Elijah, Elijah, Ahab will not be king forever. I want you to anoint Jehu. And not only is Jehu going to be anointed king, but Jehu, with Haziel and Jehu and Elisha together, they're going to destroy Ahab's family. The promise in that still small voice that comes to Elijah is not only are you not alone, Elijah, but I'm not done here. This isn't over. I'm going to take out Ahab, and I'm going to do my work. Have you ever had that in your life? I'm all alone, God, and this work is not going anywhere. I just, I just take me home. And then God says, no, i got work for you to do. It's not over yet. Your, your work is going to be fruitful. Not only that, but I have somebody to come after you to keep the work going. And you know what Elisha gets is Elisha gets a double blessing of Elijah on his life because he sees Elijah go up in the whirlwind. Wow. In the case of the disciples, in our second reading, Jesus assures them that the Holy Spirit is going to be their helper and guide them into all truth. I mean, think about it. The disciples have been with Jesus for three years. And then suddenly, in, in just a span of a few days, he's gone. He's, he's hung up on a cross. He's put into a tomb. That's it. They don't see him. You know, the two, the two uh, disciples on the road to Emmaus, remember what they said? We're sad because we thought Jesus was going to be the one to restore things, and he's gone. And then, suddenly, he's, he's alive again. Right? He just shows up in a room where they are. And they're with him for, for 40 days. But Jesus is not going to leave again. So just put yourself in that thinking. You've been being taught by Jesus. You've been in this, this God space with Jesus for three years. Then suddenly he's gone. 
and you're distraught and distressed, but then he returns. He's resurrected. And what's going to happen when he says, I'm going to leave? Well, that distress is going to come back again. What do we do now? He's gone. And so Jesus has given them this promise. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be worried about what's going to happen next because I'm sending a helper to take care of you. I'm sending a helper to take care of you. The spirit dwelling in you will teach you what is right. And in the case of the 3,000 people who received the word preached by Peter at Pentecost, well, the Holy Spirit was transforming them into a community of Jesus followers who began to live out his life as a testimony to the world, just like Jesus had commanded them to. Look, look what they did. If you look over at Acts uh, 2, and you probably know this text well, a lot of people do, text uh, 2, 42 through 47. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to highlight how the ch- church, how these people were being transformed into the image of Christ in order to do his work. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So they, they were listening to the word preached and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So this group, this, this group of followers now that had come together, that had repented, called upon the name of the Lord, and been forgiven of their sin, and now were indwelt by the Holy Spirit, they began living out the kinds of life that Jesus lived. They're, they're uh, paying attention to the word and receiving it, They are in fellowship, they're breaking bread, so they're together um, over the meal, and they're praying, and then they're being generous. They're taking what they have, and they're giving it to the ones who have need. And look what the result of that is. As the Spirit is indwelling them and transforming them into Jesus-likeness, the Lord is adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Like those early Christians, the Holy Spirit will form Christ within us. That's what his work is. Making visible the life of Jesus within our lives. And he does this, as we state in our statement of faith, through the word of God, prayer, baptism, the Lord's Supper, and fellowship with other followers of Jesus. Through those means of grace, the Spirit is testifying through us, Jesus Christ, to the world. Which is what Jesus told us to do at the beginning of Luke, right? Be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. So that day by day, those who are being saved might be added to his church. So the encouragement for you, followers of Jesus whom he dearly loves, is that the indwelling spirit who is with you and me forever will not leave us alone. But he will guide us into truth and will, uh, uh, from Christ in you, and, and will through Christ in you in order to advance, <clears throat> sorry, <clears throat> in order to advance the reign of God in human life. So he will guide you into truth and will advance his reign through your transformation into Christ's likeness. Now, a great way to revive this personal ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life if it is lagging or to cause it to flourish and produce more fruit if it is not lagging is this, ask the Spirit 
Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Mike Nye of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. You may freely copy and distribute this message, but please do so at no charge and without altering the contents in any way. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org.